Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to share this time with us, whether you are viewing us through YouTube or listening to us through iTunes or Spotify or Amazon Prime Music, and we're now on YouTube. Uh, well, I said that, uh, but I'm, we're, we're expanding into YouTube with other areas of our ministry as well. Uh, you can always drop us a line to let us know how we're doing. You can reach me at Fred Jeff Smith at Cox.net. Fred Jeff Smith at Cox.net. Drop us a line. Let us know how you're doing, what you think about the podcast, and we thank you so much for your attention. I'm very pleased today to welcome as my guest Mr. E. Eric Gayrod, a personal injury attorney and a current candidate for mayor president of East Baton Rouge Parish. Mr. Gayrod, thank you for coming by here today. Well, Pastor, thank you for allowing me to come and, and talk at length about issues and things. So tell us a brief history of who is E. Eric Gayrod. I will, but before I do that, I, yes. I, a shameless uh, a profit plug here, Spotify, I'm, I'm a music guy too. Good. And so I got music on Spotify. If you want to go out and buy some Spotify, E. Eric Gayrod, anyway. Excellent. So tell me about E. Eric Gayrod. Please. Well, um, I, uh, I'm not quite a native, but essentially I am. I was six months old. My parents brought me in, 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 in swaddling clothes from St. Martinville, heart of Cajun country. Yes, sir. Where all, most of my Cajun people still live. And six months old, and we came and moved to Baton Rouge. My uh, dad, and you may remember this, Mid-South Door Company. Yes. He started that uh, from nothing, from scratch. Uh, it was, and it became a huge concern. It was a, a, a door and window company, essentially, mm -hmm. building materials. Uh, over on Airline Highway and Choctaw also for, for many, many, many years. Um, and uh, so that was a formative part of my growing up because I got to see an entrepreneur at work. Yes, sir. And, and, and my dad, old J-Boy, who was a character, he's passed now, um, he had Alzheimer's, which, um, you know, that, that I've come to, you know, realize the, pro the huge problems of that in society, too. But... Um, so he was a character, and he taught me a lot of things, but it was really important to me to see that, that business side of things. And so I, I've, I've kind of employed that as I've grown myself, and even though I'm a lawyer, technically I'm also a businessman. The bar hates to hear that, but it's true. Yes, sir. Because all lawyers are, especially when you get to a, a really big operation like I had at one time. Yes, sir. Um, and so uh, I learned a lot of lessons early on uh, from that. Uh, I, was, uh, I was raised a Catholic, okay. um, and I went to Our Lady of Mercy, which is still there over off uh, Government Street. Yes, sir. And uh, through eighth grade, and then I went to Catholic High uh, and got a good education there. I was a bicentennial grad, 1976. Okay. God bless America and all that. Yes. Um, I, was a, I was very active in CYO, actually, Catholic Youth Organization. Yes. And I rose to a leadership level. I was elected. Uh, I guess that was an election. I uh, don't really consider that as a, one of my past elections, but a diocesan president. So I was a, a leader in the church, even as a youth. And I read in, at Mass, and I did a lot of things with the church. Yes, sir. Um, and then I went on to LSU as an undergraduate. Because uh, I'm big, big Tiger fan. You know, you grow up in Baton Rouge, you tend to be a Tiger fan. Um, and I graduated a, a dual major in broadcast journalism because okay. originally I wanted to be a reporter. Okay. Um, like like our, our current mayor used yes. to be. Yes. Uh, and um, so broadcast journalism and a political science double major. Uh, because I've always liked politics and I've been very interested in that whole subject matter since I was young. Mm -hmm. And so I just gravitated toward that second major. So it took me five years to get through those two. But I did. And then not too long after that, I went on to LSU Law School. Okay. Um, and I got out of law school in 1987. Was it always your interest to go into personal injury or civil, or did you have a stint in criminal law? How, how did that Well, you know, uh, actually, I, I didn't even really, I wasn't too happy on being a lawyer at first. Um, <laughs> I, I was actually, um, I was wanting to be, and this may surprise some, or maybe not, I wanted to be a stand-up comic. Really? I was, uh, Cajun E was my stage name. Okay. And I actually toured around the South a little bit. Uh, I never did. Uh, real well. As a matter of fact, I owe my first fortune to stand-up comedy. 
I was so bad it made me want to go to law school. <laughs> See, that's more laughs than I got in my entire comedy career right there. Yes, sir. So, um, and I kind of went as a, an afterthought to law school, and, mm-hmm. and my parents were very thankful for that. Okay. They were, so I went, uh, kind of not really wanting to do it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I always tested well, and I, I did it well in school. So mm-hmm. it wasn't that difficult for me to not even, even though I wasn't fired up to be a lawyer at the time. Mm-hmm. But then I got into it, and, and I made it through, and I got out, and I worked for some various guys. I was on the defense side, actually, for a little while for okay. an insurance company, essentially. Uh, and and But I always liked the personal injury side because I think my, my personality gravitates toward more of that. Plus, I had that broadcasting background. So I saw the guys that were starting to do TV in those early days. Back right. then, until 77, you couldn't even advertise on uh, on, on TV. Uh, there was a famous Bates case out of Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and so they started letting lawyers advertise. And Morris Bart, who is now one of my um, evil, maniacal competitors, um, was the first kind of the guru of TV lawyers, as right. we are called, uh, in Louisiana. And so I was able to get on with Mars Bart, uh, actually, in 91. And I worked for him for three years. Okay. And so I got to see up close how to do it. And, um, you know, I have my issues with, with uh, Morris. And, by the way, if you ever see him, call him Buddy. That's his nickname. He'll confuse the heck out of him because he'll think that you know him. Um <laughs> But but I, I learned from him, and I had issues with him a little bit. But but he's a good, really good businessman, mm-hmm. and he knew, knows and still knows what he's doing as far mm-hmm. as that world. Uh, he's now a mega mega ton millionaire, um, and uh, so I learned at, at 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 his foot for three years, and then I decided to jump out on my own and go to the do the whole e guarantee thing, and mm-hmm. and and the rest kind of just grew from there. And okay. uh, I think people in the Baton Rouge area, you know, have seen that I've been on TV for 30 years now. Yes, so I'm probably pretty recognizable. And, um, and um, so, you know, I, I, that, that name recognition, you know, and the branding, I think certainly helps me in a lot of ways, including, you know, runs like this for mayor. Right. One would think. So you were telling me before we started taping that this is not your first foray into politics, that at some time <laughs> in the past, you ran for lieutenant governor of the I state did. of Louisiana. And, T- tell us about it. Please. Well, um, and I hope people remember and, and are, are say, I voted for that guy. Um, I ran for lieutenant governor on the hire me to fire me platform because I, I think I thought then and I think now that the lieutenant governor's office is, is fairly useless. It only has two two roles to be somewhat the head of tourism. Mm-hmm. And then the most important role is to sit around and wait for the governor to die, um, <laughs> which which, again, hasn't happened um, all of this century and only one time all of last century. So that's right. not really going to happen. Uh, and you could hire a, a head of, of tourism, which they have to run that whole thing. So I just always thought it was a useless waste in government money. Mm-hmm. And so I ran purely on that platform. And I got to go around the state and all the forums like we have in the mayor's forums here. And I got to uh, raise a lot of heck uh, about that. It was fun because I do believe that. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a, a smaller government guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Kathleen Blanco, um, who has passed now, she was my main opponent in that uh, race. And, and uh, she, she used that as a stepping stone to become governor. So, mm-hmm. so uh, she beat me. So if people want to blame me for Kathleen Blanco being governor, you know, I, I guess I'm at fault here. But I got 60,000 votes mm-hmm. uh, statewide, which I thought was pretty good. Yes, sir. And it, and it was fun. It was a good experience as a relatively young person and, um, um, and, and gives you a lot of lessons to learn when you do something like that. You made mention of the fact that you believe in, in a smaller government, which leads me into the the issue of political parties and party philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you are running currently for mayor president as an independent. Yes. Which leads me to believe that you gave thought to how you were going to run, whether Democrat or Republican or independent. I had uh, Eric Lewis here a couple of weeks ago, and mm-hmm. uh, he's running for a Metro Council seat. And I was asking him his opinions, his ideas, on the differences between political parties. So let me ask you, as someone who chose to run as an independent, what does it mean to you to be Democrat? What does it mean to you to be Republican? And why did you choose independent? Okay. Well, let's first talk about my general philosophy of government. I think that government should be smaller and less. Government should be efficient. Government should live within a budget. Government should follow the U.S. Constitution. And, um, 
and government should uh, maximize individual liberty and freedom under an umbrella of common sense and and America first. That's kind of my general philosophy. Um, I was a Democrat initially when I was 18. Now, now, uh, uh, you're younger than me. You're you're a young fellow, but I'm old. I'm 62 years old. Um, And when I first came out, it was still a a, a closed primary system. Mm -hmm. And there was really no Republican Party to speak of back then. So if you wanted to vote uh, of any consequence, you had to be a Democrat. And I just kind of was because everybody was back then. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I turned 18, I went to LSU. Ted Kennedy was running. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of enamored with, with Ted Kennedy and his family more because I remembered as a young, very small child, John Kennedy. Right. And so I loved the whole Kennedy aura and the Camelot, the whole mystique of all that. Um, and, and so initially I was there, but, but very soon after um, being on campus, uh, I, I saw some, some political uh, postings for the Libertarian Party, mm-hmm. which is really a, a small anti-government uh, movement, uh, and I was attracted to some of their thoughts, and and I and I, and I, I read some of those books, and, and and started getting interested in that, um, but I didn't feel I wanted to go that far, you know. But then, so there, and there, and then there's the so the Democratic Party. I thought was just too big government. I thought it was too intrusive in our lives, okay. and was too big, spending too much money. Republican Party, on the other hand, I, I philosophically aligned with them a lot more. But then again, they they had too many, in my opinion, and still do. Um, have too many special interests on the other side, mm-hmm. which traditionally I, I thought really were working against the common good and the common people. Uh, and now it's kind of in this new world, it's kind of got tipsy turvy now because now it's some of your biggest uh, companies seem to be on the Democrat side, uh, mm-hmm. the tech, especially the high tech companies and even a lot of Wall Street. So it's, it's really become a, a shaken uh, political uh, landscape. Mm-hmm. So all that left me kind of, well, where do I go? Where do you, you know, if you're not completely aligned with either and i do tend to lean a little more to the republican side to be honest you know mm-hmm. if i'm going to vote i tend to vote that way mm-hmm. just because they have some of those philosophically uh, i'm aligned more um though there's not a total agreement either way so i said well i think the best place for me would probably be an independent and so i, I decided that back in college and so i just never have changed okay and so so that's a long time yeah and and so um uh, that's kind of where I stand, and I kind of like it because I, I think it gives you the ability to be kind of above the fray mm-hmm. and to be a little bit more, quote unquote, independent. Um, there is technically an independent party in Louise. I didn't even know that. Yes. Um, when, I, when I signed up for, for mayor's race, they said, okay, what are you? I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm independent. They said, well, that's, uh, so you're, you're a member of the independent party? I said, well, no, I don't know. I'm just an independent. So they said, well, no, there's an independent party. You got to register as part of that. I said, mm-hmm. oh, okay. But I don't know that they even have any structure. I don't know mm-hmm. if there's even a leader of the independent party. There may be, mm-hmm. but I see it more as just not a member of a more traditional or two, one of the two major political parties. Mm-hmm. I know there's the Green Party, Libertarian, there's some minor ones, but but I see myself as not a member of any of those. And and that's kind of where I see myself in this mayor's race, too, as more of an independent. You know, I like to see, because there's, there's, uh, there's three Republicans and, and two two Democrats. And so I would like to think that people could differentiate me from them because Mm -hmm. I I have chosen um, in a public manner to to be different. And so that's how how I came down on that. As you look at the uh, goings on within uh, community politics, Mm -hmm. city parish politics, uh, you look first, or at least I look first, at what happens at the Metro Council Mm -hmm. uh, meeting. There seems to be a lot of tribalism, a lot of division in the Metro Council. Uh, and it's interesting, and I know that the makeup is about to change as we are voting, but it's seven Republicans and five Democrats. The seven Republicans are all white. The five Democrats are all black. In your opinion, based upon your observation, do you see the division within the Metro Council as being political philosophy first or race first? I think race is involved, but I think it's more a philosophical division. I think there's, in my opinion, I think there's kind of three factions in Baton Rouge. And I've, I've been here. I remember Woody doing was being mayor, you know. So I do, too. <laughs> yeah, old Woody. Um, he, he was my first mayor. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I got a picture with Woody, a, a key to the city or something, when yeah. I was in that CYO I referenced earlier. Um but, you know, Baton Rouge had changed a lot since those days in, in a lot of ways. But mm-hmm. th- there's this good old boy faction, 
there's kind of the uh, establishment business faction, mm -hmm. and then there's there there's uh, what I call more of the black liberal faction, mm -hmm. and I think all those have some interplay, and I think the first two kind of align together a lot. Um, that's why I think there's a slight skewing, and I think that's reflected in the number of of councilmen seven five. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still a uh, so I think as the votes go, it tends to fall philosophically and and and. and for whatever reason, the, the philosophy tends to align with the race, and I don't know why that is necessarily. I don't know why you're not born, you know, a conservative or or, or a Republican, or a, or a Democratic liberal. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of the culture you're raised in, and, and what you learn, and, and what you believe. Um, but you know, it's still a racially divided city. A quick story. I you know, I I grew up Goodwood Home Sites, which was a little different. Uh, uh, then it, it's on the north side of Florida, but then it was an all-white neighborhood, so. Uh, went to mostly all-white schools. And so my experience is, um, was that it was always a kind of a divided community. Mm -hmm. And even now, last year, I went to the homecoming game of Southern. And, and I walked out there, and of course, I'm ER, gay or people know me, but, but there was only... I counted two other white people mm -hmm. that whole day, and we and there were we talking ten. It's Southern homecoming, so mm -hmm. there's a lot of folks out having fun, barbecuing, eating, enjoying themselves. Um, and, and it was just kind of amazing to me that in this day and age, it was still so 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 segregated, essentially mm -hmm. voluntarily so. But um, and I had I still had a good time. I'm comfortable in 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 that environment because you know I've had thirty thousand clients over the years, mm -hmm. most of whom have, have been black. Mm -hmm. And so you know I'm I'm um, been in the black community a lot as a professional, and and over all these years, and. Um, so, but I just found it to be kind of a unique thing, and it just made me think. You know, the, the LSU football games are still predominantly white. If you go to one of those, yeah, and and the, uh, th though there are uh, more blacks in there, uh, there's certainly um, you know the the team that's changed. Well, the teams have changed, but uh, if, if if you want to talk uh, the universities themselves, when I went to LSU, I graduated from LSU in 1983. Uh, the percentage yeah. of African Americans. Uh, who attended LSU at that time was 10%. Here we are 38, 39 years later, the percentage of African Americans at LSU is still roughly 10 or 11 uh, percent. That's, that's, the that's the number might have gotten larger, yeah. but the percentage has remained the same. Even though Baton Rouge is, uh, well the city's I guess, uh, The city has black. become predominantly black, yeah. yes. Uh, Parish, I guess is half and half. Yes. Well, not half and half. It's, uh, maybe it's a little, a little bit, white. It's a little bit more white. A little bit. The, the parish is more white than yeah. black. But my, of course, LSU my, attracts from a larger area, but I, I hear but, your point. My, my point is there is still a lot of segregation that exists within this city. I, I tend to call it self-segregation. Yeah. Uh, uh, we, we choose uh, to uh, link ourselves with homogeneous groups. That, that we feel share our background and share our uh, belief system. Uh, and people have the right to do that. Yeah. I, I'm not questioning their right to do that. But when it comes down to the politics of our city, mm -hmm. uh, which is supposed to be for everyone and, yeah. and, and supposed to take everyone into account, I still find that that tribalism takes place, and I see it most acutely in our Metro Council. Yeah. And I was wondering if you saw the same thing that I saw. I do. I, and, and I don't know that I, I'd like to hear, hear your your thoughts on, on why that is. But... but um, uh, I think it's mostly just cultural, you know, and, um, you know, the, you know there, there's also a, an educational component, too, to it, which is one of my big planks in, in my, my mayor's race. Mm -hmm. and, and that particular plank of mine is way out there because I think and it actually I think would benefit the, the underprivileged and, and the lower socioeconomics in our city more, especially the, the black kids. Uh, if, if people would buy into what I'm talking about, um, it, it's a school choice on vouchers on on, um, on steroids. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, if we can get into some specifics. I don't know if if we if we how free flow this is, but um, I, I I believe we should take all the money devoted to education in mm -hmm. Baton Rouge, divide it by the number of kids in the parish, mm -hmm. and give them each a credit stipend. You can call it what you will. You can call it, a, you know, a purple zebra or a voucher. It doesn't matter what you call it, but it mm -hmm. would be only used for education. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that would create 
such an educational whirlwind that you would never have seen before because I'm a big believer in free enterprise system and capitalism. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we do we use free enterprise and capitalism and everything else we do except for our kids' brains, maybe the most important thing that we have. For some reason, we, we choose to go the, the government route to educate our kids instead of the free enterprise route. And what I think would happen would be they would be descended upon into, into East Baton Rouge Parish. Mm-hmm. Schools and operations and school-related businesses from all over the country that you can't, we can't even imagine. There might mm-hmm. be some new things that are created because that would be such an opportunity that exists nowhere else in this country. And I think it would lift everybody up, and it would give the poor black kid a chance. Instead of being told by the government, you got to go to this school down the street mm-hmm. you know, if you don't qualify for a charter or, or a magnet, um, instead of them having to be stuck there. They would all of a sudden be able to be shopping around. Mm-hmm. It'd be kind of like if uh, if the government told you you could only go to this particular grocery store down the street, mm-hmm. and you said, "Well, no, I like I like the uh, the Winn Dixie. They got better chicken or mm-hmm. whatever." And, they said, and the government would say, "No, no, you got to go to this particular grocery store because that's where we've assigned you." Mm-hmm. But I don't like the manager; he doesn't run it well. So they say, "Too bad." Mm-hmm. And so the same kind of uh, it's just it's just a, a metaphor I'm trying to use for for this idea, and it would be radical. Obviously, it, it would it would be topsy turvy. It would take constitutional amendment, and I can't you can't just do it by fiat. Mm-hmm. The, the the mayor doesn't have anything directly to do with education, mm-hmm. but the mayor has that bully pulpit. Right, and and the educational, especially in the public school system, has has to me become shameful. I think it's just the the the, the most terrible thing that you're doing to the poor, especially the poor kid is to put them into that system where they're coming out half educated. Some are some are doing okay if they get into some of the better magnet or charter schools. But as, as a rule, I, I think I think it's become a terrible terrible system that just needs to be changed. You got to just throw throw it out. Okay. Let, I, I see from your body language you don't agree with me, but Well, I I'd like to explore okay. your, your your belief. Uh and, and you're right, I, I don't share it, but, right. but I, I would like to at least explore it. Public schools were considered to be uh, the greatest thing in the history of this country. Public schools were considered to be uh, the silver bullet, if I, if mm-hmm. I could use that term, uh, that eradicated, uh, uh, that, that closed the gap for people in this country. And the public school system was great until 1954. In 1954, with Brown versus Board of Education, where uh, it was said that separate but equal is no longer uh, going to be the law mm-hmm. of the land, then all of a sudden a huge pocket of Caucasian people decided that there was something wrong with public schools, mm-hmm. and uh, we're, we, we need to. This was when the proliferation of parochial and private schools came out. And I know that there were parochial schools before then, but the proliferation of them came post-1954 because white flight took place not just in geography, not just in in residences, but it took place with regard to education. Mm -hmm. And white people, for the most part, abandoned the public school system, and then they castigated the public school system, and then they cut off in this area they cut off taxes for the public school system because we don't need to pay for those terrible schools while we're also paying for parochial and private schools with private dollars. This whole point of St. George, from my perspective, is a, a convoluted way, a all the way around the world way of, of getting a public school system that is your own. They were told you can't have a public school system <laughs> unless you're a city, so we're going to become a city so that we can have a public school system. So for I agree me, with you. For, for me, the problem is that white people abandoned the public school system yeah. and then said that's a terrible public school system. Well, it's, it's only terrible because you abandon it and then you siphoned off all the money. Right, the money, and that's the key. Yeah. That's why mine is called fund it, don't run it. I don't, I don't want the, um, the government to abandon the public educational-wise. I think a, a, an educated citizenry is, is absolutely essential for a democracy and a republic like we have. Mm-hmm. So I want the government still to fund it. Uh, equally, and that was the problem back then. I thought. I thought you're right. The, the tax dollars and the money flowed away with the, with the white flight. Yeah. Which that should that should never have been allowed to happen. It mm-hmm. should have been equitable. And I don't know why. I mean, I guess I do know why, but but it shouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why mine, I think, is different. Uh, and especially 
fast forward to now, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going back to not have private schools. So I would think, why not let everybody share in that concept, which uh, I, I think as a rule, and that's not true everywhere, because there are good public schools still around. Yes. Um, if you go around, there's some good ones. Yes. Um, but... And they could compete. If the government wanted to compete in, in, in the system that I envision, and let them compete, you know. But can you compete with the with the Episcopals where my kids went? Well, my, my kids had to go to Episcopal, by the way. You know why? It's the only school in town that's with the letter E. So I had to just I understood. Yeah. Going back to my stand-up comedy days. Sure. Um, but um, – so, you know, the Episcopals and the Dunhams and the Catholic highs and the academies of the world, if the government wants to compete, and they may choose that. Zachary has a really good program, you know, so mm-hmm. they may want to retain theirs. Mm-hmm. And if they can convince the, the kids and their parents to take that credit stipend and march over to Zachary High, then mm-hmm. they're more than welcome. They just would no longer be forced to do that. And I, I really think in the spinoff that would happen, and, and I think it's, it's such a radical concept that we can't even imagine what might happen, because there are, and I know they've been, uh, the, the school board's been approached by charters all the time of, on coming in. And that's the kind of companies that, that may well and would come in. And then you'd have spinoff businesses, because the kind of folks that are attracted to that, the young professionals, mm-hmm. they come in and they demand other kinds of businesses. They demand recreational things that, that we don't have now. So I think the spinoff and the growth would just be wonderful, especially for North Baton Rouge, which everybody in every one of my forums we've been in, we are, one of the subjects is always, okay, how do you economically develop North Baton Rouge? Sure. That, that's the big subject. And I think this would do it almost automatically. Mm-hmm. It would help lay that foundation, which I think is the problem with North Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't have a good foundation either from an educational or a lack of crime standpoint. So you, if you fix that educational thing, I think every one of our problems ties into education you know the crime traffic um, uh, labor force all everything ties the tentacles tie up to education Mm -hmm. and so if you fix education in a massive way and i'm talking about a radical change which i envision putting baton rouge at the top in the country instead Mm -hmm. of way down here at the bottom where we tend to be right now Mm -hmm. the act scores that just came out i mean that's just again that's horrific Mm -hmm. i can't i I can't believe that um the standards that aren't being hit by by by, uh, the kids overall it's not just public school kids even the private school kids seem to be lagging um but i think this would be the, the way to fix it and and i know that it's something that most people don't think about or, or can't even comprehend but it, it, and you don't want this as a mantra but but it can't be worse to me and so okay let, let's let's just massively go in a new direction and see what happens you've already acknowledged that uh the mayor doesn't have direct control over the school system right so what in you, as you called it, a bully pulpit, and, and I think that's an apt description. Uh, what would you do as mayor president to help push the school system in the direction in which you're suggesting that it go? Well, you talk about it every day. Because right now, I mean, ten, any, any government official, even tangentially related to the school system, which I think is everybody, mm-hmm. should be ashamed and probably should have resigned. If they if they could see, I I advocate putting cameras in the classrooms right now, mm-hmm. every classroom. So I want the public to see. Okay, let's see what's going on. I have a good friend of mine uh, who is um, head of discipline at a public school in town. He's also a coach, mm-hmm. and he says um, he's a black guy, and and he says e, you wouldn't believe what happens in these schools, in in our school, mm-hmm. and um, and so I really think uh, we're doing a disservice especially to the underprivileged kids, by letting them uh, allow to remain in that. So what you do as mayor, you, you, you talk about it every day. You, you, it's your first item. I mean, every day you, you make sure the paper's covered every day. Then you start arm twisting because you gotta, you got to get the legislatures on board mm-hmm. on board because it's got to have to be a constitutional amendment. you got to get the school. The school board may well go away in, in, in this current form. It would have to be worked out. Mm-hmm. You get the governor on board. That might be tough because I know the governor's a big teacher's union guy. He's, he's literally and figuratively in bed with the teacher's union. And, you know, so because his wife's teacher. Um, right. Oh, I'm in, I'm in a church. I'm sorry. Um, so, um, so, so you got you. You just have to sit down and convince them that this is the right way to go. And if I were to win on a on a platform like that, I would think I'd have the public backing behind me because that's the the main plank of my platform is mm-hmm. is that education thing that we're talking about right now. And so, if I have that public force behind me, if I have my ability to to talk about it and just twist arms on a on a daily basis Mm -hmm. it it would have to get done that way but i can't do it by fiat i don't have a vote anywhere so it would have to be something what would you do about taxes since taxes are are intended to pay for government services Mm -hmm. including 
education. And I, I raise that in the context of uh, an amendment that is on the ballot, uh, the same time that you're on the ballot for mayor president, mm -hmm. Amendment 5, which would allow uh, corporations to circumvent uh, the local entities and negotiate yeah. uh, uh, to pay a fee as opposed to actually paying their fair share in taxes. Don't you think that there's enough of that that has been going on? Yes. I'm, I'm, I, I think, and again, goes back to my philosophy of government. Mm -hmm. The closer you are to the people that you govern um, as a governmental entity, the, the more control the people should have over, over decisions. Mm -hmm. And so to me, those kind of decisions absolutely should be on a local level. Uh, and that's why I don't like some of those proposed tax structures um, and, and and the industrial exemption program you mm -hmm. know, that, that allows the, the state to override or, or, or veto some things that, that the locals might want to do. You know, let the local people decide. They can live or die with those consequences. Um, and, and so, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all on board with you on that one. I think, I think it absolutely should retain uh, local control, or else you have somebody in, well, in Baton Rouge, that's figurative, because someone at the state government right. making decisions for you, and you might be in, um, you know, bunky. Uh, who, who knows? So, mm -hmm. so that's just not fair. And I just don't think as a concept of government in any issue, the closer you can get to the decision-making being done at the local level, the better you tend to get a result, because the people, they buy into it because they voted for those folks. At the most recent Metro Council meeting, uh, some issues regarding a shift in the plan of government were brought forward. They weren't discussed, but they were yeah. they were put on the uh, uh, schedule, the agenda to be discussed in the future. And one of uh, the proposed changes is that uh, you go from 12 uh, uh, districts to 10 districts and two at-large Metro Council seats that are voted on parish-wide. Uh, I have an opinion about that. I'm, I'm curious because were you to win, this would be something that you would yeah. have to deal with. What's your opinion about that proposed change in the plan of government? You know, it's interesting, and I'm not so sure I'm, I'm one way or another on that, but just kind of thinking out loud, because I've only been posed that question once before. Um, I think there's some value to having a couple of folks on there, a couple of people that can look more universally at, at the parish um, than everybody in their little enclaves, mm -hmm. which I think tends to um, tends to happen. So, so maybe there is some value to to those people running parish wide. Um, now, what kind of people? Who would you get? Uh, what kind of person would land up winning that sort of thing? And, and and who would you get wanting to run for that sort of thing? Would that just be kind of a a grooming for the next mayor kind of situation? It's a very convoluted description, as I understand it. And I don't have the document in front of me, but you would allow someone to run at large who lives within the city limits, and a second person who can run at large who lives within the parish, within the parish, but not necessarily within the city limits. Oh, no. So that you would have. A, a city resident that is an at-large council person and a parish resident that is an at-large council no, person. That. And only one of those two people can serve as mayor pro tem of the Metro Council. That's according to the proposal. Well, that's that I wouldn't agree with. I think if you're going to do it, you have one or two parish-wide. Mm -hmm. That way you can have, again, that universal view of the entire parish. You know, interesting, what I, I would like to see happen, because I wasn't for the, the St. George movement um, out front. I, I think I believe in one city, you know, one heartbeat, right. kind of like Coach O's thing with the LSU Tigers. Um, uh, I, I think St. George is divisive by its very nature. I mm -hmm. think I think in the, 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 the beginnings of it were educational, in, in, in like we talked about. Um, I, I think it's... It doesn't make sense even because Central and Zachary and Baker were they were enclaves of their own. They were they were kind of separate cities already. This is not. It's like like throwing paint up on a on a map, and that's that's kind of St. George. I mean, on one side of Blue Bonnet you're in St. George, on the other side you're in Baton Rouge. It's mm -hmm. just crazy. I live in what would be St. George, mm -hmm. and I do not consider myself a St. Georgian. I'm not even sure who St. George was. I think he was a dragon slayer or something, or a saint or something. Um, I don't know. I don't know. So I, I'm a Baton Rougean. I mean, you and I, we grew up here. You know, right. I'm, I'm, I'm a Baton Rouge guy. Right. Uh, and, I, and I think the whole parish should, should come together to solve our problems. So when your neighbor came to your door with a petition and asked you, Mr. Garrett, would you say this petition uh, for the incorporation of, uh, of St. George. What was your response to your neighbor? 
that didn't actually happen. But what I would have said, so I don't think so. And I'd, I'd have, not, I wouldn't have gotten his face, but I'd, I'd have told him what I thought. Uh-huh. Um, because what, in my opinion, um, you kind of hate that phrase because it's always your opinion when you say something. But um, I think they cheated. Uh, the organizers, uh, and I, I do, you know, and, and I, look, I understand um, where they're coming from in a lot in large extent because I think uh, they think that they've been kind of xed out of the decision making part of the parish, and maybe uh, they, they they feel their taxes are being used and not they're not part of the the, the inner circle. I can I can understand some of that, but um, but but I think what they did, the way they approached it. And again, only 17,000 people voted for it. And so 17,000 people are dictating what happens to half a million. I think that's And just those 17,000 still haven't produced an economic plan that they can present to anyone. That's that, right. That and shows I, I, how that's they're right. going to sustain themselves. Yeah. I, and, and, I just uh, wanted to bring that no, up. No, it's true. And I heard the mayor talk about that. And she, I don't agree with her on a lot of things. But on that, she's right. Um, but what they did, the first time around, they failed. Right. And so they went back and redrew their map. Right. And, and again, it's just purely up to them how to draw the map. And who did they X out? The black people. Yeah. Absolutely. If you watch the line, it used to go like this. And then all of a sudden, next go around, it went, whoop, a big, so, a big so, square. So, so, so the, to me, what, how is that not gerrymandering? That, that's just, it's clear. Precisely. So, so, so as, as an African-American uh, who has members who live out in yeah. the area, this young man who's taping us right now lives in the area that would be St. George. What oh. do I say yeah. to oh. him about the fact that African Americans yeah. were X'd out. Yeah, they don't want you. Yeah. I, is the message is at least if it's not overt, it's certainly a covert message. Uh, yeah, and again, that just kind of adds to the the laundry list of why I'm against this because I just think it's even if it's not intentional, but it's hard to say how it couldn't be. Um, it it kind of looks that way, and 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 for people who do live there who might not who aren't a Caucasian or aren't white, how are they or how are they going to feel? Um, what I propose and what they should have done, the city should have done a long time ago. Uh, and now it's kind of started after the fact. Just expand the city. Why, why haven't we just become a bigger city and, and expand the city limits? Jacksonville, I don't know if you know this, but has become, they, they took over their whole county. Sure. So now the city of Jacksonville now is over the whole county of whatever the county is. Sure. It's the biggest city geographically in the country. Um, because they, they, I think they may have had a similar form of government. They said, well, this is silly. Let's just make it one big old gigantic city. Mm-hmm. So I wish we'd have gone in that route and maybe maybe leave Zachary and Central and, and perhaps Baker to their own accords. But um, there's, there's large un, undeveloped swaths of East Baton Rouge Parish that um, that are out there that I would and love to have. And they were quite happy for them to stay undeveloped uh, no, which, uh, until which, a few years ago when they decided that they wanted their own school system. I, well, see, but if you had my school system, all of a sudden people living in Livingston, people living in Ascension, they would you'd have to be in the parish to get yeah. that $8,000. It was $8,000, but I don't know if I mentioned that, but it'd be about 8000 per child. So all of a sudden the people in Ascension and Livingston who moved out just because of the schools, they didn't move for any other reason. Mm-hmm. They still work here. They'd love to live here, I mm-hmm. think. All of a sudden, all these undeveloped areas in the parish, they could all of a sudden be developed. North Baton Rouge would be developed with new neighborhoods. I, I think it would just be an amazing turnaround economically and educationally. Um, that, that's why I'm so so strong about that education plan. Fund it, don't run it. You have strong opinions also about law enforcement. Yes, I do. And, and, and how to develop a different law enforcement model than the one that currently exists mm-hmm. within East Baton Rouge Parish. Uh, Putting that aside for just a second, we, we can talk about it. Uh, what's your opinion about uh, residency requirements for Baton Rouge police officers? I don't think it should be required, but I think it can be cajoled. Uh, you know, and, 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 and if you go, and I know we this is a, a more expansive format, so I'm, I'm, I, I appreciate me being, being able to talk at length about things. Uh, but if you go to... Um, uh, FuseTheRouge.org. Mm-hmm. FuseTheRouge.org. You can see my full explanations. But I want to combine the city and the sheriff departments right. into one entity. Right. Uh, and I even have a name for it. I want to call it the Guardian Rouge. I want to um, partially for for um, for um, uh, for symbolic purposes. I want to get rid of the the green and the blue, and I want to go with a red because mm-hmm. that's our city. We're the red stick, mm-hmm. or maybe a maroon. The uniforms, the cars, the the, the color, the the big police station down there at airline and goodwood make mm-hmm. that red um but um uh, so so we we do that and we come out with a new uh, a new entity mm-hmm. um 
and then your question was um well, my question was about a residency requirement. Oh, yeah, residency. What, what, yeah, what we would do, it would, it, would, it would be well paid. It would be much better paid. Yeah. Uh, because And it would be much better trained. And then we get into training because I think that's where some of the problems with, with, with our police forces come into play okay. here. Um, but you would, you would pay them extra, a bonus, to live in the parish. Okay. And then you'd pay them maybe a super bonus to live in maybe some of the worser neighborhoods. Because mm-hmm. I think it's important that we have what I call community policing on steroids. Mm-hmm. I think the police have just got to get into the communities mm-hmm. as part as an actual resident mm-hmm. and be there so people know them by name and people can see that there well, is value to to a police officer actually living in oh, the neighborhood absolutely i mean okay. you see that they have kids too right. and, and they have concerns and, and they're just they're just human beings too right. and and the people that live in the neighborhood know who to call well, I'm going to call Joe. I got this problem at my house, or I've seen this guy down here doing this such and such. I'm going to call Officer Joe, Guardian Joe, and, and, and tell him about it. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious. I, I have not been to Fuse the Rouge, so maybe you've answered but this But you question. will now. I, I will go. <laughs> uh, and maybe you've already answered this question, but when you talk about combining police and sheriff's office, the right. sheriff is elected by the parish. The police chief is appointed by yeah. the mayor, which would require, I would imagine, some shift in in uh, how that government office, how, how law enforcement is determined. Yeah. Uh, the sheriff is, is, is the chief law enforcement officer for the parish, even though we have a chief of police. The sheriff is actually the chief law enforcement right. officer. So, how would you reconcile that difference? In- inherent conflict, uh, just by your own words there. It's, you know, um, it's, we're going to have to march back to the Constitution, unfortunately, the state Constitution, to change that. Because okay. right now it's required that you have a sheriff mm-hmm. in every parish but Orleans, by the way. Orleans, the, the, the main um, uh, uh, law enforcement officer, is not the sheriff. They're just a tax collector. Uh, it's the city police cap, uh, chief over there. And so I would advocate something of, of the same nature mm-hmm. uh, you would, where you would just abolish the sheriff's office or even just reduce it to the tax collecting purposes of, of, of that office now and, and put everything under that other umbrella. Um, and it could it would probably be appointed because I think the mayor should be held accountable for who he appoints to the Guardian Rouge because um, I think they need to work in tandem. And, and, and you need to have one, fight, one, one chief of there's two essentially the same size forces right now mm-hmm. that funded the same. Mm-hmm. Um, why, why do we have two? I, th- I think it's just, and, and I, I'm a personal injury lawyer, so we, we do wrecks all the time. And uh, we always have a problem figuring out who's covered the wreck because it's so intermingled, the, the, the city parish line and mm-hmm. the, par- the, uh, the, the city. Mm-hmm. We don't know if the sheriff covered that wreck or the, sh- or, or the city police or who is it. So we always are in that battle. It just shows you how convoluted and crossovering they are. Mm-hmm. And so why not get over that? There's an efficiency of scale. Um, there would be one, one, one type of training that would be applied to all the same people. And by the way, they would be much more fit than they are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to see them martial arts trained. Mm-hmm. So maybe some of these lethal force problems that we're seeing around the country that are causing all this problem, they, th- that really shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. If the officers, and usually those in arrest situations, if those officers knew how to control a person without resorting to the tasers and the, and the guns and other lethal force, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have to get to all this. Because um, I've, I've talked and heard martial arts people talk about how they were just aghast that two officers couldn't handle one guy mm-hmm. in some of these situations, like the Alton Sterling or the, um, the Wendy's guy in Georgia, mm-hmm. and are, are, the, uh, are the multiple cops in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Why can't you control one guy? And now sometimes these are big guys, and if, if you're on drugs, I know there's, you can be kind of a superhuman strength situation. Mm-hmm. But I think, but that just goes to the training. So I think you would have an elite force that is going to be trained, and they wouldn't be traffic. I try not to let them be traffic cops. I don't want my elite crime-fighting force working a, a fender bender at the corner of Corsi and Jones Creek. Or- I heard you <laughs> say that the other night, and, and I wanted to ask the question, so then who does handle the traffic? New Orleans has a separate traffic department. Well, first of all, I would, I would do a lot more, and people may not like this, I'd do a lot more electronic monitoring. Um, where Because the, the one place that people come uh, 
in contact with police officers generally, because vast, vast, vast majority of people are law-abiding, uh, yes. is traffic tickets. Right. And that's always a bad situation. Right. I, I've gotten a, you know, a number in my life, and the officer, a lot of times, not all of them, but they have an attitude sometimes, or they're, mm-hmm. they got a, they're on a power trip, or, or whatever. Maybe they're having a bad day. I don't know. But it's never a good situation. It's mm-hmm. never a real friendly situation. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be that way, because I don't want my, my citizens, the only experience they have with those officers is kind of confrontational. That just leads to other bad things. So I would I would create a, tra- a separate traffic force. Really, you don't need a policeman to write up a traffic report. Mm-hmm. Why can't you have a, a, a specialized person who, like insurance adjuster type people who know how to work? Be they, careful now. You, you, you're, you're losing your uh, conservative small government credentials because you're adding a whole different office to, well, to but do it, that. But, but, but uh, this is true, but it could be part of the same budget, I think. And, okay. Um, and it would just it would free up because the most important thing is to free those folks up to fight real crime, you know, mm-hmm. murder and rape and robbery and pillaging and all mm-hmm. that stuff. I understand. Um, uh, and and some works they still have to they still have to work obviously because there are some 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 um, horrific things that that require a higher level of, of, of authority to be at the scene. Mm-hmm. But most of your wrecks, and I know this from thirty years of experience, they're mm-hmm. just they're just things that happen at an intersection, and you got to get the report that the cops hate more than anything from what i understand go and do a traffic report mm-hmm. they don't do them well half the time and i know that too from mm-hmm. from experience um so i'd like to see a professional doing that well written you know you get get pictures get get a scene of the accident so it's good for everybody the people in the wreck it's good for the insurance companies good for the personal injury lawyers um so um I'd like to see that gravitated to, but but the uh, electronic monitoring would help, I think. I, I know people don't like red light cameras and speed cameras and all that, but, you know, there's a solution to that. They don't, don't run red lights and don't speed. Um, I got caught in a speeding camera out there in Baker. I mm-hmm. said, oh, gee, not, I was speeding. So, mm-hmm. you know, I paid the ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran a red. Uh, I didn't think I did. I, th- I thought I was taking a right turn on red at, at Corsi and, and Sherwood. And I, here comes a ticket in the mail. I said, well, no. So I went online and looked on the video. Sure enough, I rolled right through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't come to complete stops. So, oh, okay, I'm guilty. So I think people would come to accept it and, and maybe be a better drivers. That's the other thing. Well, if we get into traffic, we got horrible drivers here, and we need to solve that problem. And, and that's against my own interest because the worse drivers they have, the more accidents they have, and the more business I tend to get. Sure. So I'm I'm still getting against my own financial interest in, in that sort of thing. But getting back to the cops, so you want that elite force that is so well trained and respected. So, you know, kids would be proud that their dads or their moms are, are a member of the Guardian Rouge. Mm-hmm. Or, or the Guardian Rouge themselves would brag that that's what they do. Mm-hmm. I think other uh, communities around the country would emulate us. I think I think they would come in and say, well, that's, look, at the, look what Baton Rouge is doing. When's the last time we've had one of these groups come into Baton Rouge to see what we're doing? I always read about, you know, the, the mayor and, and, and their folks going to these other cities and saying, let's go yes. see what they're doing in Austin. Yes. Well, how come people never come to Baton Rouge? Because yes. we, we don't have it going on. We, we're not ready to take it to the next level. Level. And that's kind of what my whole program is about, because it's all kind of out of the box. I want to go to that next level, which I don't think the current mayor is going to do. I don't think all of our best I can remember. None of the mayors have really that we've had here are, are really of that mindset. You know, um, uh, I'm just trying to think through all of them. They, 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 they were just kind of complacent and let it be kind of a go as it is city kind of mediocre in nature mm-hmm. i think we're kind of mired in the muck of mediocrity mm-hmm. to be quite honest so you made mention the other night uh that uh, and you've said since you've been with us that you were raised catholic but i heard you say the other night yeah. that you're now more of a spiritualist more of a deist uh, than you are an adherent of any particular uh, uh denomination or, yeah. or belief how did you how did you arrive i'm not questioning right. what you believe i'm questioning how did you arrive at that how how did you come to that conclusion i think that's just living you know i think as you when you get to being the ripe old age that i am that you're going to be one day uh-huh. uh i think it's a it's a wisdom thing and i think you get to you get to observe a, a lot more of what's in the world and um i certainly think the christian values are are are, are as good as you can get mm-hmm. you know so if you live as a christian even if you aren't technically a christian yeah, I think you're doing as, as good as you can as a human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's probably true of the Buddhists, you know, and that's true of, of some other religions, but, but especially those two, because uh, it's, it's such, such a peace-oriented religion, you know, mm-hmm. and, it's, and, it's, and it's such a, a reaching out of the hand religion and, a, and a, kind of a hugging religion. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, but but I came to uh, get disenchanted with the Catholic Church, and, and Lord, Lord knows, uh, that's, that's kind of a slip. Uh, he does too. Uh, the Catholic Church has had its problems, mm-hmm. which, which they didn't acknowledge for a long time, and still to this day don't really acknowledge. Um, and so I dabbled in some other denominations, um, uh, Methodists, you know, and I've been to some other 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 churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, just never really found uh, in some of the Christian churches. As a matter of fact, my 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 brother-in-law, my sister's husband, is a, a preacher in a non denominational Christian church now up in Maryland okay. and he's been in Baton Rouge he's been in Little Rock he's been in California so he so I, I, I've been part of that too mm-hmm. and I've seen that and that was interesting and, I, and it was somewhat um, um, alluring to me but but not not I wasn't quite there I just mm-hmm. felt that um, I think God is part of all of us. I saw a movie once, a Poseidon Adventure mm-hmm. of, of all things and in the Poseidon Adventure Gene Hackman was playing uh, a preacher of some sort a um, Kind of like you. Could have been you on, on the boat. And, and one of his sermons, he was doing a sermon on the deck before, before they, um, they turned over. And he was saying, um, don't pray to God in heaven, somebody sitting up there in the clouds. Pray that part of God in, uh, in yourself. Because mm-hmm. his belief, and, and, and kind of my belief, is that God is in part of all of us. Mm-hmm. He's embedded in each of us. And it's, and it's incumbent upon us to bring that out. Mm-hmm. And I think God has meant it that way. And he said, look, I'm putting that seed in there, but it's up to you to grow it. Mm-hmm. Now, my seed's in you. So can you nurture it in the right way? Can you do the right things um, to, to make you a godly person? And so that's kind of that's how I came to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. It's just from you know, being, being fed up with, with traditional religions to mm-hmm. a large extent and mm-hmm. then kind of embracing the, the, the more spiritual, uh, Christian-like uh, aspects of, of what you see. With regard to community relationships, mm-hmm. uh, the geographic differences you've already mentioned yeah. between North and South Baton Rouge, the, the, there is certainly a wealth gap that exists yeah. within uh, this city parish. Uh, do you see government as playing a role in closing those gaps? And if so, how? In a way, uh, I think if government would lay the right foundation I, I'm like, I'm a big believer in freedom and capitalism. And I think all humans w- will thrive in, in that environment. But the government's done a very poor job of laying the right foundation as far as the educational system, which you know I'm big on as as I've spoke about ad nauseum, mm-hmm. and, and the and the and the and the uh, the crime situation, the policing, and the traffic. So if the government were to instill the the right environment. I think people would all of a sudden have a lot better opportunities. They'd have a lot better educational opportunities. And so I think the incomes would naturally rise through through just uh, the, the natural progression of things. Um, you know, government can do a few things to, to, to fill the gaps. Obviously, we don't, we don't, you know, we never want to let people die in the streets or go hungry and that sort of thing. So we should always be there from that perspective. And in a, in a, in a Christian-like aspect of government should be doing those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But as far as the wealth gap, you know, it's... Um, it's funny. Uh, there, there is a there is a the wealth gap and, and the the actual gap. The other thing I noticed, and we, we talked about this earlier, I'm starting to see in restaurants. I go, I eat out, out a lot, mm-hmm. and I'm now seeing almost in every restaurant I go in, except maybe uh, very high end, uh, it's about half and half black and white. Mm-hmm. And it didn't used to be that way, mm-hmm. and so that you know that indicates to me that there is a a, a little bit more of an income shift going on at least that because eating out is kind of costly. Um, and that's just that's just something I noticed. I think that might be a reflection of where people are living now, because I think I think that north south thing is kind of going away. It's also a reflection of a change in lifestyle and it is and and, and, and things of that sort. Uh, and we also eat too much, but that's a whole other story. As I want to be the fitness mayor, but <laughs> but you, you've said twice now that uh, you believe in capitalism. Yes, I have a problem with capitalism. We live in a capitalistic society mm-hmm. that's not going to change. I understand that. I'm, I'm, I'm very grounded in that reality. But from a philosophical point of view, capitalism only works if there is someone who is exploited. Capitalism does not work unless there is an exploiter and an exploitee. And generally speaking, poor, brown, and black people have been exploited through capitalism. And so even though I recognize the reality of it, it's not going away, trying to navigate through a system that is designed on exploitation 
is difficult, especially when historically you have been the one exploited. And from my perspective, tying into the religious point of view, capitalism is anti-Christian. Uh, the, the, the whole idea of love for everyone and love for neighbor as for self is antithetical to the idea that I'm going to take advantage of you to my benefit and necessarily to your detriment. I'm not trying to change your mind. I'm, I'm not even trying no, to have an argument. I'm only but... saying that there is a perspective where capitalism is not considered to be the best thing well, in the world. I would, I would respectfully disagree. I don't, sure. I don't think it's exploitation. I think it's a, uh, it's a trading of value. You, you get paid for your labor, and someone pays you for your labor. You know, so, so uh, obviously that's different than than, than slavery or, or or forced servitude or anything of that nature. But in a true capitalistic society, in a free enterprise system, there's that free exchange of whatever whatever commodities you're exchanging, and one of those things is labor, and it gives you the opportunity as a lower wage earner to rise, as people do all the time in America. And capitalism, capitalistic societies have created more wealth than any other societies in the history of man. Well, that goes along with the argument that capitalism is, I mean, that, that uh, democracy people is better than everything else. And, 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 it, and, and I, I'm not going to argue well, with that. I, I'm certainly not going to debate that. It's not necessarily pure democracies. I, I am, I just know that capitalism is disadvantageous well, to black and brown people so I, I, historically. I would, well, perhaps because it hasn't been. It explains why there's a North Baton Rouge yeah, and a South Baton Rouge. It explains because it, because it why it hasn't been able to flourish. It, it explains why businesses choose where they locate. Well, because the it explains why there are three Albertsons located in a, in a three-mile uh, radius in one area of town, yeah. and there are no Albertsons north of Florida Boulevard until you get up into right. Zachary. Well, that's part These of the, are the business models that right. have made a decision that said that it is to our economic advantage, not to the advantage of the people that we seek to serve. Right. It is to the advantage of, of our business model and our profit margin that we are going to plant this, we're going to make this investment here and not well, there. I think true. all of that plays into the whole well, idea of capitalism. Well, you know, part of that though is, you know, businessmen are not stupid, uh, and 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 they do have to make money to run a business. Um, how much? How much? How much? How, whatever. How much money is enough? Whatever the market I, I, will bear, because you're going to have competitors. If if you're making too much, then then somebody else is going to say, well, hey, look at that. So like so, like in my business. Right. We, we used to not be, there was Morris Barton and me. And, 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 and then suddenly now they're everywhere. Right. Because people saw there was an opportunity. They just didn't let me and Morris Bart be the kingpins of forever and ever. Uh, in, in a free enterprise capitalistic way, they, they entered the fray too. And now there's a whole plethora to choose from. Does it make sense to you that in the richest country in the world, there's a significant segment of people that are homeless. Does it make sense to you that in the well, richest country in the world, there are children who go to bed hungry every night? Well, but, but what, what I would ask, it is a problem, but I'm not going to blame the system of government on that. I'm going to say the way it's applied, and I would also say, what is your alternative? I mean, what is your alternative to the capitalism-free enterprise system? In those societies, you see abject poverty. You see, you see governments doing what they want to do. You see, you see freedoms being uh, routinely uh, dispelled and displaced uh, at all levels, uh, freedom of speech and freedom of religion and, and all your freedoms that we have here. But the economic part, I think— Again, if if you let if you keep government out of the way for the most part, mm -hmm. it'll flourish. Look at, I mean, there's examples, and maybe it's unfair to just point out one or two. But like Oprah Winfrey grew up, she was in the Mississippi Delta, poorest of poor, mm -hmm. and now she's the richest woman in America. I mm -hmm. think. Um, how does that happen? That he, doesn't. He, 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 here's my response to that. You can always pick out one or two. Right, and I said that. And 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 and. The, the, the thinking seems to be because you can point to one or two, then the problem doesn't But, but that's, that's rich person. I'm talking about, so how many people who grew up like Oprah Winfrey now are just a nurse? 
or, or doing well as a um, you know uh, an auto repair person or, or whatever. Uh, I think it's the opportunity that's important. And if you give people the opportunity, give them the right educational background and the right opportunity and enough government services to not let people starve in the street. And I'm still upset that there are hungry people because I, I don't know how that even happens. Why there's still food kitchens necessary, I just I can't imagine why government isn't better organized to take care of those those people that can't feed themselves. But it's not solely the province of government. It, does not business have a role to play in that as well? Recently, I, I read oh, yeah. in, in, in Business Report uh, and in The Advocate uh, that in response to the panhandling situation mm -hmm. that has become uh, repugnant uh, to certain business people out on Segan Lane, their response was not to provide programs to educate and house the panhandlers. Their response was, we'll just buy all the hotels. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that I, was, I'll spend money and I'll buy the hotels and drive them out. That was rather that's, cold hearted. That, that, um, that's a system of thinking yeah. that does not put the needs of the person at the forefront of, well, uh, of your thought process. I don't know that that one particular businessman. It's, it's one example, yeah. and, and, but, 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 but it, it's it, an example no, that's real because, and, and it's know, relevant to us. Because I think. You know, addiction is a is is probably one of the biggest problems in that whole world. Um, so then, let's talk about developing programs that are bigger than the Bridge Center in order to yeah. take care of addictions and mental health problems. I agree with you. Mental health is a major issue. Emotional issues are very real. But the response that says, "I'll just buy all the hotels," yeah, that, that's not good. And I think in a vibrant community that has opportunity where everybody's, you know, full employment and everybody's doing gangbusters. I think people of their own nature, I think people are good in heart, but by and large, I think, I think they are Christian like for the most part mm -hmm. and they will want to help their, their brothers, their, 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 their people who are downtrodden. And so I think you can lean, it wouldn't have to all fall on the back of the government and you're right. And it shouldn't, I think government should be fifth. Uh, I think the first thing there's the level of five. I call mm -hmm. it. I have a one of my songs. A rap, I'm a rapper too, by the way. Okay. Um, uh, one of my songs called "Give Me Five, and it says, um, "You know, government should be first. I mean, uh, first. Uh, yourself should be first. You look in the mirror. That's who should come first. Your uh, family should be second. Friends and associates should be third. Uh, charity should be fourth, and government should be fifth. Mm -hmm. uh, when government is fifth, is when we can we can take steps. And so, but the charity thing is important. But, you know, if you go down that line, it, it kind of impresses on people to help each other, help families, help one another. And then governments there is a, kind of a safety net, like, mm -hmm. like Ronald Reagan used to talk about. Um, but you're right. I mean, there's, there's problems that need to be addressed. Now, it could be with some out-of-the-box thinking. You know, someone was telling me about a concept they had about some of these dilapidated buildings out, out here on uh, uh, the Plank Scenic area, mm -hmm. or, that it could be revitalized mm -hmm. and used to, to, to uh, help some homeless people. Because I'm not sure where all these people sleep every night, because I know there's a limited number of beds in this town. Uh, Salvation Army has some, and the Catholic Charities has some, yes. but not many. Yes. Um, so where do they sleep, you know? and, and um, Park benches. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm speaking of that just kind of, um, I, I know where they sleep. I mean, yeah. they sleep outside, which has got to be a horrible thing. Um, so we got to help them as just, as just heartful thinking, you know, Christian-like people. Um, you know, we, we have to reach out and help our brothers. And government should certainly play a role in that. But, but, but hopefully, if you had a vibrant economy, it, there wouldn't be as much of that because there would be opportunities for for those folks to maybe to get jobs. I know you're going to ask, well, how do you get a job if you don't have a place to live, if you don't have transportation? And those are questions you have to answer. But but I think businesses, and I've done it as a businessman and other business people I know, are, are very charitable, and they do want to help, and they belong to organizations that help, you know, the Kiwanis or whoever they belong to. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so you just impress, and as a mayor, you would impress upon business to help. I mean, we got a terrible litter blight problem. And I don't think the city's going to be able to fix that by itself because it mm -hmm. is bad. And it, mm -hmm. and it seems like it's gotten worse. Every day at the corner of uh, Sherwood and Interstate where I get on to go, go to my office, it's just grass is high, there's litter, and, you know, there's, and then there's homeless people. But it's just it's just ugly, you know, as far as the litter and, 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 and debris. Um, so, but you got to, I think the businesses are going to have to step up and help in all these categories, at least for, for the foreseeable future mm -hmm. and so that's why I, I want the mayor to be a, really a big motivator 
and a coach. I mean, I'm a big I'm a big Dale Brown fan. I grew up. I was 14 years old when Dale Brown came to town, and he's he's just that positive thinking, motivational kind of guy mm-hmm. who said we could win championships at LSU in basketball. And everybody scoffed at him, but he was right because he he says if you if you conceive it and you believe it, you can achieve it. Mm-hmm. And so I want somebody like that to be mayor that mm-hmm. that can inspire people, inspire the businesses, inspire people to go and farm groups to help help in some of these areas mm-hmm. and, and not just let it fall on the back of the government, you know, because typically government just is not as efficient as I think it should be. I appreciate your coming by here and sharing with us today. I appreciate the opportunity to engage in well, conversation. Is there a final thought that you'd like to, do you mean, to share? Besides FuseTheRouge.org, FuseTheRouge.org, <laughs> um, I, I love to drive people to that because, again, it gives explanations of what I believe. Um, no, I, I'm just appreciative of the opportunity. And, and one thing I do want to say, I know it's a long shot for me to win. I mean, it's uh, they've had one poll that, that didn't show me very well, but I'm not sure they even pronounce my name right in that poll. Because mm-hmm. if you don't say E. Eric Gerard, and you just say Eric Gerard or something, people don't even know who I am. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's a long shot for me to win. I think, you know, with the mayor getting a, a big swath of, of the vote, um, the second place finisher is going to be maybe in the teens, so it's, it's very possible to, um, to, to squeeze up in there out of the other five that we have. But even if I don't win, I think it's important just the ideas. I mean, that's, that's one of the real reasons I ran, too. Uh, in, in addition to winning was the ideas. I mean, I'm really passionate about these things, especially as you can hear about the, about the uh, education, because mm-hmm. um, I see the problem every day. Um, and so I want at least my ideas at least get heard and, and maybe get thought about and mm-hmm. put into practice by whoever wins. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of the, the, the message I want to leave. And, um, and, and I do appreciate the opportunity. And it, it's been, been fun, too. So Good. Thank you again for coming. Thank, Thank you. you for viewing. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next time. Yeah.